From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. Hi, I'm Bob Pavlovich, and on the show today, it's Creole Heritage Month. Scott Tilton of the New Foundation joins us for more on Creole history and culture and tells us how the language is being preserved today. But first, after a 22-day standstill in which three Republican candidates were nominated and then defeated on the House floor, Republican Mike Johnson of Louisiana was finally elected to be Speaker of the House. The Times-Picayune, the Advocate's editorial director and columnist, Stephanie Grace, joins us for more on what we need to know about this new speaker. Stephanie, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So who is this Mike Johnson? (laughs) Well, that's what everybody's asking. He is a congressman from the Shreveport area. He's been in the House since 2016, so really not a very long time for someone to ascend to this position of leadership. Uh, Before that, he was in the State House for actually a very short time, only a couple of years. His um, his career before that was he's an attorney who worked on a lot of cases that were kind of Christian conservative causes involving same-sex marriage, opposition to same-sex marriage, I should say, things like that. I think the best way to describe him is that he's a very soft-spoken hardliner. He's, again, known for these religious stands. He's, you know, he's a very religious guy as a lawyer and a legislator. And also for his role in trying to overturn the um, the Biden election, he was involved in that. You know, but on the other hand, his opening speech was very conciliatory to the House. He said his door was open to Democrats. He, you know, didn't yell. He didn't act like, you know, he didn't do a victory lap, really, of Republicans over Democrats. He talked about working together. On the other hand, Matt Gates, who is the architect of Kevin McCarthy's downfall, is kind of pointing to his ascent as a sign that the MAGA forces really are dominant in the House. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what he does. A lot of people will be watching. Some of the comments I heard on Wednesday from uh, pundits and observers and analysts were, were calling Johnson a backbencher, not there for very long. Why do you think he's the one who got the nod? You know, the one word I will say is exhaustion. I think, like like you said, 22 days, the Republicans created this mess. They really didn't have a way out of it. And Congress was at a standstill. Government, you know, could shut down in a month. There are big aid packages uh, for Israel and Ukraine, things like that. And I think they, you know, they found a way out of the dilemma. They kind of looked and said, okay, the next bus that's coming along, we're jumping on it. And we'll, we'll see where it takes us. But no options, really. And again, I do think this is something of a triumph of demeanor. He's a very nice guy. He Mm. is very soft-spoken. He will, you know, even people who disagree with him, he will engage. I kind of think that that was, that carried the day. Like nobody dislikes him in the house, even the people who disagree with him very strongly. And it's going to be really interesting because, you know, a lot of them are in districts that Joe Biden won and they have now embraced. They own this kind of hardline philosophy, having voted for him. So does anything happen to Steve Scalise, the Jefferson Parish Republican, who was actually next in line for speakership right. but couldn't get the votes? You know, that's so interesting. He is He was majority leader, the second highest post before all this. He's still majority leader mm-hmm. because there's no new election for that. He's already chosen. So what that means is that Louisiana has the number one and number two position in the House. And that that's just a stunning development. Nobody expected that. It never happens, you know, in part because 
we're one state out of 50 and the other state, everybody wants their representation. Mm -hmm. So normally the rest of the house wouldn't really stand for that, but you know, there's so much else going on and there's no easy way to get him out. And I don't even know that people want him out. So right. They seem to have a good relationship right now. That's where we are. We have the number one and number two people in Congress. With his health and everything, him is going for the speakership. Now that he doesn't have it, do you think he might step back? You know, that's interesting. You're starting to hear a lot of speculation about that. It, it would not shock me at all, frankly, because I think his entire time he's been looking at rising through Congress and, you know, there was the brass ring and he grabbed it and he missed it. And that on top of the fact that he, you know, he's been through so much, he's undergoing cancer treatments right now. He, of course, was shot a number of years ago and, you know, terribly injured. You know, people don't really stay in Congress after they have kind of had a fall like this. Mm -hmm. Usually it's going to be interesting to see, you know, Kevin McCarthy, same thing. Does he stay? Um, Obviously, Steve Scalise is there for now. I'm really interested to see whether he runs for re-election. I have not heard anything. It's all speculation. But um, I, I think we should we could be seeing some scrambling in our delegation, even beyond Mike Johnson becoming the dominant, you know, member, strangely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Editorial director and columnist for The Times Picky and the advocate Stephanie Grace. Thank you so much for your time. Okay, thank you. From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Bob Pavlovich. October is Creole Heritage Month, a time to celebrate the history and culture and language of this Louisiana-based ethnic group. For more on what it means to be Creole and the efforts to preserve the identity and language today, we're joined by Scott Tilton, co-founder and executive director of The New Foundation, a cultural institute aimed at promoting French and Creole culture throughout Louisiana. Scott, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for the invitation. So I'm going to start with the question that gets some people's dander up. What exactly does it mean to be Creole? Absolutely. So Creole is a culture. It's a culture that emerged here in Louisiana. It started basically in the 18th century. And there are people of African, European, indigenous descent who make up this community. So when we talk about Creole, I always give the example, it's it's this wonderful culture that is a blend of all of these different geographies and the people that came here. And they ended up creating all of these aspects of Louisiana culture that we associate today as being Louisianian. So you can't dissociate Louisiana from being Creole. And a lot of the people identify through this community. So whether it's the architecture, the music, the cuisine, a lot of the things that are emblematic of Louisiana are rooted in Creole culture. So I think you'll find that people today And I think it's important to think about it today as a identity that is ingrained in Louisiana and the surrounding regions and one that people really embrace and I think are starting to rediscover because sadly in the 20th century, there's a lot of discrimination against these communities. So a lot of people lost that tie to this, uh, to the culture. When did that word first arise in Louisiana? So it's a term that comes, it's sort of, it's of Latin origin and like from the Roman times, but the idea is that being from a place And so the Portuguese and the Spanish started to use it to refer to the people who were born in the Americas. And so in the French context of Louisiana, when you have the French in Louisiana originally, you start having these references to people who are of African descent, who were brought through the slave trade, who started being born in the Americas, 
who were being referred to as Creole. And you also have your people of European descent uh, who started referring to themselves as being in the Creole. And this is a lot of these identities start emerging in the 18th century in Louisiana. And from there, from this sort of terminology that refers to people born in the Americas, the people started building this broader culture. And that culture really takes form in the late 18th and 19th century. So it's not an identity that ends in 1803 with the Louisiana Purchase. It's an identity that people hold on to throughout the 19th century and throughout the 20th century well into today. So what caused these people of these different identities to come together? Is it just proximity? Yeah, a lot of it has to do. So obviously there is the African slave trade that occurs in Louisiana and it's important to acknowledge those ties and that, you know, that people were coming from Africa and born in Louisiana and that there are these different communities from different parts of the world that are coalescing here. There's also the French and the Spanish and other communities along with the indigenous communities. A lot of these communities that were here during the colonial times had close proximity with each other, and these identities start blending and start being formed into this idea of being Creole by the time you get to the American era. But it's also important to recognize, I think one of the elements that we can talk about is that there's also a language component to being Creole. So a lot of the people who historically identify as being Creole spoke French, many spoke Spanish, some of them spoke indigenous languages, but they also form this language that's called Louisiana Creole, which people today also refer to as Curivini. And this language is a blending of all of these different languages. It's a Creole-based language, much as what you see in the Caribbean and other parts of the world, but it's indigenous to Louisiana and it's a language that emerged and was spoken by hundreds of thousands of people um, for uh, well into the 20th century. I think one of the things that we work on Today in the revitalization community is that the Louisiana Creole language, it's considered critically endangered by UNESCO. And so there's only that means that there are fewer than 10,000 native speakers left. And so people may understand that there's this sort of Creole language in Louisiana. And there's also this French language that we have that's this sort of variety of French, Louisiana French. So it's this really interesting linguistics diversity that has formed Louisiana throughout these centuries. Isn't it the kind of thing where you have people speaking two different languages and they find some sort of common ground with their two languages to end up learning how to communicate with each other? Exactly. So what I was mentioning earlier, when you're thinking about Louisiana during the colonial period and you have different people um, from West Africa in, in many cases, so you're talking about people who will speak Wolof or they'll speak Igbo or other different languages or Yoruba, they'll come here and then there's this French element to it because the French are the colonial it's a colonial period in which French is being used and was the language of colonial administration. And so the blending of different languages, and in addition to that, also acknowledging that there were uh, different indigenous communities in Louisiana. So the Louisiana Creole language is this absolutely fascinating mix of West African languages, of French, of some Spanish, and of different indigenous languages. And I think that that diversity within the Louisiana Creole language is what makes it so rich. Um, and I think that's what, one of the impetuses for why we should really hold on to it. There's so much about even the way that we speak English today in Louisiana that is influenced by the Louisiana Creole language. We give the example of like, hey, la ba, <laughs> baby, you know, these types of terminologies that are infused even in English, that are a lot of these terminologies are derived from the Louisiana Creole language. Mm -hmm. Some of the language that we may even hear among the Indians that are associated with Mardi Gras here and their language that has arisen around their customs and traditions, that could also be a part of the, the Creole language? 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of Louisiana Creole that um, is embedded into the sort of into the cultures, the sort of different types of cultures that are across uh, New Orleans. So obviously the different Mardi Gras Indian chants and songs that exist, a lot of that idea, a lot of that includes Louisiana Creole um, in the language. And I think part of that reason is because if you think about Louisiana, it's this really fascinating place in which historically in the 19th century, you had New Orleans was half divided between what was sort of a Creole side of the city and the American side of the city. And a lot of the traditions that emerged on the Creole side of the city, we still have today. And so I think that that's why you hear a lot of these songs. I always give the example as well about an early jazz. A lot of Creole is in there. There's this famous um, musician, Lizzie Miles, who sang in Louisiana Creole and brought that sort of to a larger audience. I think that that's one of the areas that we have to think about today that you know, I always I love to say that you know, New Orleans is Creole in the way that Paris is French. It's this element um, that is so infused in the culture. And I always love that um, Dr. Angel Parham gave this idea of Creole in Louisiana being this sort of idea of a cultural palimpsest. Mm -hmm. So a palimpsest, if you think about art or literature, is and particularly in art is if you people would reuse canvases so sometimes you would see the previous painting below the current painting and in modern new Orleans culture a lot of what's creole is still there a lot of these identities are layered but it's still very much present in sort of the tapestry that makes up the city today we're speaking with scott tilden co-founder and executive director of the new foundation a cultural institute aimed at promoting french and creole culture throughout louisiana the creole language where is it spoken a lot of it's in southwest louisiana along the bayou teche and so a lot of the community out there refers to it as Corivini, and that's where you'll hear a lot of this terminology and so there's definitely sort of the people of some different towns like cecilia arnoville in which uh, louisiana creole is still spoken out there in New Orleans, it is still spoken in certain pockets. I mean, I was impressed. We held a conference here um, on Creole identity in June that was organized by um, author Fatima Sheikh. And it was really impressive because there were um, different individuals who had grown up in New Orleans, particularly in the Treme and the Seventh Ward, who were conversing in Louisiana Creole. Um, I think it's important to think about that there's different levels of language acquisition today, and that no matter what level that people have, it's important to validate that and really work with them uh, to make sure that everyone knows that, you know, Louisiana Creole is, is you know, should be valued. And I think the problem is, historically in Louisiana, particularly in the 20th century, with the imposition of Jim Crow laws that really tried to settle this line between black and white uh, based on discriminatory lines, there was this sort of very much this discrimination linguistically um, against people who spoke Creole and also who spoke French. So it really shattered a lot of these identities. And people today feel sadly still have the shame sometimes about speaking Louisiana Creole. I think that what's important um, today is that there's this wonderful revitalization community. A lot of it's online. A lot of people are forming these nonprofits and organizations that are here to advocate for the Louisiana Creole language. And I'll just maybe direct um, to, there's this one resource called T-Leave Creole for anyone who would like to learn about the Louisiana Creole language. It's like a primer for learning the language and it's available and it, it really is a great way to sort of start uh, jumping into the language and trying to relearn it. What makes the Creole language distinctive? It's one of the only languages that really emerged in the United States. So there have always been obviously indigenous languages, these wonderful languages that have existed in this really diverse linguistic landscape that has formed the United States for so long. But it's one of these contact languages that emerged in South Louisiana and then spread across the Gulf South. And I think that it's funny how 
the language is just linguistically very diverse. I mean, I give the example of when you're thinking about, um, you have the word in Creole for shawi, which is a raccoon, and shawi comes from an indigenous language. You have the word for, if you're coming back from somewhere, you have the term retourner back, tourner back, and that comes from the French sort of idea of retourner, and you also have the idea of English, back. So you have this really interesting blend that I think perfectly represents the diverse communities that form Louisiana. I think that when we're working on revitalization of language today, people associate Louisiana with the French language as they should. As recently as 1970 in Louisiana, there was an estimated, these numbers are disputed, but it gives an idea of the scale of it. Um, in as recent in 1970, there were about a million French speakers in Louisiana historically also been hundreds of thousands of Creole speakers. So I think that the idea that French and Creole in Louisiana are both part of the linguistic landscape and the revitalization of French today is also should come with the idea of supporting the revitalization of the Creole language because it goes part and parcel with the identity of the state. Is there any overlap between the Creoles and the Cajuns? Absolutely. I think that if you we were mentioning this earlier about that history, that in the 18th century, a lot of people, whether they're of European, African, or indigenous descent, start identifying as Creoles. And then there's this sort of arrival of people of Aca the Acadien from up in uh, the maritime provinces of Canada who arrived after 1763 and the deportation. And so these communities lived near each other in the same communities. There are a lot of people who claim both identities, who are Creole of Acadian descent. Um, and I think it's important that sometimes the divisions that we create in Louisiana were not always as distinct because there were this sharing of people who spoke French, who spoke Creole. And I think that's also something that's important to say is that a lot of people, whether they were Cajun or Creole identifying throughout history, spoke both languages. And it's this sort of melding of these cultures um, that we should think about. You mentioned the Caribbean influence. Uh, can you tell us about as far as Creole food and music and, and where we might see evidence of that Caribbean culture and all of that? I always say that New Orleans was born in the Caribbean and raised in America. It's this sort of fascinating blend of different cultures. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the important things to understand about Louisiana is its proximity to colonial Saint-Domingue, modern-day Haiti, its proximity to Cuba and the whole Caribbean, the sort of pan-Caribbean sphere. And so when we see it today, the kind of Creole influence in thinking about where people were doing their commerce, where people were drawing their influences from, they were drawing it from Havana, from Port-au-Prince, from all of these different places. So in the cuisine, the idea of how we use rice in a lot of our dishes is an influence certainly of West Africa, but also via the Caribbean. In our architecture, a lot of the different styles that we borrow are directly from Saint-Domingue, uh, Haiti, and all of these, you know, sort of a lot of the built environment that we still live in today is influenced by that. And the music. A lot of these sounds that we have are influenced by uh, musical traditions from the African diaspora, from West Africa, um, and from Central Africa. And a lot of this music that we have today, including jazz, is influenced by Creole culture. And I think that that's something that we also have to think that it's not something that's relegated to the past. It's something that is still being innovated on today. And there are a lot of musicians today, cutting edge musicians who identify as Creole, who are still drawing on those multiple influences from the Caribbean, from other places to do cutting edge culture in the 21st century. 
I want to learn more about your work that you're doing with the new, and that's N-O-U-S, the French Foundation. You've done some films in Louisiana Creole. Can you tell us about some of the, not only that film, but some of the previous ones that uh, that you've done? So the new foundation emerged out of this idea that we want to address two main issues uh, so for the French and Creole speaking cultures of Louisiana today. One is visibility, that we're, people know about who we are in the public spaces. And the other one is capacity, that we're supporting cultural bearers who want to use the French and Creole languages of Louisiana through their trade and through their craft. So some of the films that we've done in the past were really meant to be able to render a voice to the revitalization community. I'm notably thinking about Voices of Renewal, which was a documentary that aired on PBS through YES in, in New Orleans. And it's a documentary in which we interviewed five activists for the Louisiana Creole language, in which they expressed why they got involved with the language, what the culture means to them, and where they think the culture is heading. And I'll just give an example from the documentary that I just thought was a wonderful dialogue and, and just sort of speaks across time is Giovanna Joseph, who started Opera Creole, is this amazing opera singer. She has this accomplished career in the city, and she has always been a tireless advocate for these, this very specific period of New, of New Orleans history and Louisiana history after the Civil War in which Afro-Creoles became very involved in the Reconstruction government. So it's an era in our history in which French was used in the assembly, in which you have the influence of the Marseillaise as a state anthem. And one of the ways the Reconstruction government tried to influence public opinion to support their causes for a new constitution that afforded more equal rights to people of African descent was through opera. And so when they used these French language operas that debuted in New Orleans, and when Jim Crow and segregation occurred, a lot of those operatic works were lost. So Giovanna, for example, has gone in through Opera Creole and refound these operatic works and puts them on today. And so it speaks across time that you have ideas of civil rights, of racial equality mm-hmm. being spoken 150 years ago. And you have someone sitting here today in 2023 who's able to go back across time and revitalize the message that was done in French and Louisiana Creole to try to influence public opinion on issues that are very relevant. You also have a new film called Heritage that is coming out in December. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, we worked with these two very dynamic storytellers um, and, and screenwriters, Chasa and Charlize West, and we received this grant through the We Are Family Foundation to produce this short narrative about a teenager who um, is from Lafayette and does not necessarily identify with being Creole and this sort of this magical realism twist. She ends up spending a day with a, a relative of hers um, and ends up uh, relearning and, and starting to become more interested in the Louisiana Creole language. And mm-hmm. There's a lot of other works that we're working on as well. We have this web series that we're working on with a culinary storyteller named Shawanda Marie that's going to be about the, uh, the origins of Louisiana Creole cuisine. If anyone wants to learn more about the Creole heritage, where can they go? There's a lot of different organizations. So obviously, the New Foundation, we're putting on several events this month, but I highly recommend there's an organization called Chenbo, uh, which is done by the revitalization community. So if you look, want to look up, it's C-H-I-N-B-O, um, so that's a nonprofit uh, that is dedicated to the revitalization of Louisiana Creole. I also recommend, as I mentioned earlier, the Tea Leaf Creole book. And uh, just if you look around, there's a lot of people will have grown up with people who spoke Louisiana Creole or identify as Creole. So also encourage people just to ask their neighbors, ask their relatives. Um, and I think that's another way to get involved. Scott Tilton, co-founder and executive director of the New Foundation. 
Thank you so much for your education and for being here. Thank you so much. I appreciate this opportunity. And bon mois d'héritage créole. From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you've been listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Bob Pavlovich. Thanks to our guests, the Times-Picayune, the Advocate's editorial director and columnist, Stephanie Grace, and the co-founder and executive director of The New Foundation, Scott Tilton. Our managing producer is Alana Schreiber. Our assistant producer, Aubrey Procell. Our engineer is Garrett Pittman. You can listen to Louisiana Considered Monday through Friday at noon and 7 p.m. It's available on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience. More at Rouse's.com with additional support from Southern Strategy Group.